Do not put that in the edit, Ian. Good God damn, it feels good to be back in. It does. It feels like we haven't done this in forever. Yeah, it's because we kind of haven't. Uh, you guys won't notice because we were uh, ahead enough to keep our schedule, but we actually had a little bit of a short hiatus of uh, do check out this song recently, and it wasn't really our fault. <laughs> Water came under the wall of the studio, so, you know, <laughs> when things like that happen, it, you know. Yeah. Best not to plug in the electronics. Yeah. Uh, literally, all I did was unplug everything and move everything to a safe area. We didn't lose anything, so nobody worry. Uh, we just had, you know, five days of industrial dehumidifiers in here. For <laughs> <laughs> Don't think you guys would have appreciated that episode. <laughs> what i didn't know about industrial dehumidifiers uh which we do know now is uh the room heats up to like tropical levels in here oh like the guy's like oh it'll be like uh you know arizona and i'm like what he goes oh but it'll be like really humid It'll I'm be like, like Arizona, but really humid. And I'm like, so you like, mean Florida? So like the jungle? <laughs> like, and it was indeed the jungle. And like, he, at first he's like, ah, oh, it'll be three days and it'll be fine. And it was not. It was not three days. They they got it out of here on the fifth day. And like, finally on the fifth day, I walked in here and I was like, it doesn't smell like, you know, musky at all. Like, it's back to just normal smell. And I was like, I think it's done. <laughs> and I need to do things. So, <laughs> are you guys done? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you said three days. We're on five now. So, but yeah, that, they ended up being cool with it. And I just, yeah. Which was fortunate for me because I was trying to find a car on my way to get here because some dude ran into my parked car and yeah, practically totaled, totaled the thing. No, this was a couple nights earlier. Oh, okay. But I've been dealing with the insurance the entire time. Yeah. I'm like, your guy hit me. I wasn't even in the car, so you guys owe me a rental. <laughs> yeah, at least a rental. Oh my god. Well, at least at least you weren't in the car and, and nobody was harmed, but it's been that sort of like That guy's career week. might be cuz he hit me in his uh, work truck. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> the work truck accident sounds terrible. Don't, don't don't crash in your work truck. And if you do, don't be at fault. <laughs> don't crash into <laughs> yeah, a parked car. Definitely don't be at fault. Yeah, that guy that guy can't you know, he can't argue anything. <laughs> he ran into a car that is stopped and parked. He's going to hear this podcast and never listen to it because he's going to go, oh, fuck, I hit that guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit, is that him? <laughs> that, it's that Ian. <laughs> he's going to look at his paperwork. All right, well, this is do check out this song, so. And not do check out Ian's tragic car accident or. Or, or tragic <laughs> studio accident. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so I mean, I guess we should get into it, because honestly, I'm fucking excited about this episode. So we may have burned up some of the, the space that we had made, but we're also getting into an interesting space where it, it really doesn't matter that much, because we were already planning on kind of flipping the format for next season and providing you guys more and a better podcast. And, you know, we talked about at the beginning of this season, if you guys happen to be listening to all the episodes. But, you know, come next season, we're going to do something just slightly different. Bring you guys the same experience, but a thousand times better. But these last few artists of this season are some of the ones that I think we should have done in the greatest format of all time. And we're just going to do it the best that we can now because these guys are awesome. Yeah. And this, what, this these lady next and, three musicians are amazing. Yeah, they're 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 God level. And this one, nobody really knew. Like, I, <laughs> we never heard of her. Yeah, this is a situation where we needed to fill a slot for for a musician. And I started digging and I found this name and just got to a little bit of her history and was like, oh, my God, what the fuck? And <laughs> another Janice. We always we always talk about Janice Joplin. She's one of our uh, one of our patron saints here uh, <laughs> as she brings everybody tombstones if they do not have them. But uh this one is even better. Uh, Ian, why don't you go ahead and introduce this fine lady? 
And so our artist for the episode is Janice Martin. And Janice Martin was born in Sutherland, Virginia on March 27th, 1940, the daughter of Lucas and Jewel Martin. Janice Martin spent the first eight years of her life in Akron, Ohio, before moving back to Virginia. So she was actually born in Virginia. They moved to Ohio, and then they moved back to Virginia. So that's basically her roots. Yeah, Yeah, Virginian roots with a little bit of spice in there. Now, her mother and father were amateur musicians, as was a live-in uncle who played guitar, and they all sang country music. By the age of six, she mastered chords on her junior-sized guitar and was singing in the style influenced by Eddie Arnold and Hank Williams and began... <laughs> that's, yeah. that's her first inspiration is Hank Williams? Yeah. Fuck yes. <laughs> and she began performing on an amateur basis when she was eight years old. Oh, fucking hell. Of course she did. And that, it, you can tell, like, cause, cause oh yeah, she's the, so good. Even the example ages when you point out like how old she was in a couple of pictures and stuff. It like she's clearly rocking hella hard at a very young age. Well, and so to quote her on her childhood, she would say, "I had a typical show business mother who put me in the music business when I was eight years old. I was never allowed to play with other children my age. She was grooming me." Oh shit. So yeah, I it, that's what it sounds like is they like the the parents they, had they music- pretty much pushed it on her. Yeah, the parents had musical aspirations and they weren't um <clears throat> successful. So then when she came around and was successful, they were like, "Oh shit." And this grooming would end up with her making the rounds of like all the amateur contests in the area. Martin recalled winning 200 of them. <laughs> 200. So oh, if she God. won 200, how many was she at? Like, just yeah. think about that as a little kid. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. She must have won at a high rate. Like, that's what it sounds like. But either way, like, 200 performances alone is a lot. Like, I would say I'd rank my total performances in my life in the maybe 200 range. <laughs> and then I might start doubting that if I was like, you know, if you started had to, like, look at it. But that's just, that's so much performance. Yeah, and, as, you know, starting this when she was eight. Oh, yeah, then... <laughs> She shows it. She shows it because she is so technically proficient. And I mean, I don't want to give it away, but they call her the female Elvis, guys. And she can do Elvis and she can do Buddy Holly and she can do all the other styles. And it is Bat Midler. <laughs> Bat Mid- <laughs> There's a little bit of Bat Midler in there, I guess. But uh, yeah, when we were listening through all of her like discography she she just spreads out through so many styles and can mimic so many of the famous styles and famous acts of the time it's it's kind of ridiculous yeah it's pretty awesome now of course there was no real money in any of these amateur contests and all the prizes were worthless to anybody but a child (laughs) but eventually that hard work would pay off yeah and so at this time you know radio was still the best way to find music right oh yeah radio And she was invited to play on this old radio show called Old Dominion Barn Dance, which was broadcast over the CBS network. And she did this at the age of 11. Why do all these barn dance radio shows always have the coolest fucking names? (laughs) I don't know, but that is a cool cool name. Yeah, but uh, we've mentioned it a couple times. Every time we talk about these radio shows, like the local radio shows, they always have like seven words in their radio show, but it's always like some really intricate, like limerick. (laughs) They're pretty cool. But age 11, she's playing on the radio by the age of 11. How crazy is that? Yeah, it's fucking insane, man. So, yeah, she was literally groomed for uh, for success there, it looks like. Yeah. So, really, that means, like, the 200 she did was probably between the ages of 8 and 11. Which, that's a lot. Like, if you guys just think about 365 days a year by the time you're, you know, however old. Like, she started playing at what? You said she started playing amateur at 8? Eight? 8. And so, by the time she was 11, there was 200, like, wins. Like, like she she was victorious 200 times. Like, <laughs> yeah, so that, mean, that, that probably means, means there was more than 200, too. Yeah, exactly. So go ahead and take 365, multiply that by just a mere three years, guys. So that's, that's you know, that's a, about a thousand days, we would say. I mean, I'm not going to bust out the calculator, but it's somewhere in the range of a thousand. And uh, I don't know. That's just, 
<laughs> Ridiculous for that's, someone that young. That's twenty percent of twenty percent of the days just she was winning a competition. Yeah. Not to mention the drive it took to go there. Yep. And like the time it took to, you know, practice and get good to win all of these. Yeah, that is just so insane. It, just think about it that way. If if it, none of these were on the same day, she is literally, for those three years, 20% of the days she lived, she was winning a competition of about music. Yeah. As a kid. Like, as that a is, kid. That is just mind-blowing. Once again, why do we not know her name? And so the exposure of her being on the radio created a great demand for her. But her parents wisely would keep her from touring too early. But when she wasn't playing local gigs with the likes of Sonny James, Gene Shepard, Hawkshaw Hawkins, the Carter sisters, she would actually end up hosting her own radio program on WHEE in Martinsville, Virginia. Oh, yeah. That's a fucking, <laughs> that's a 50s radio name. <laughs> We the W H E E. We yeah, that's a, you think that's a soundbite? The the W H E E. Welcome to the we. Yeah, the, the we. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's probably a little early for them to have anything like that, right? Uh, the flamboyant radio guy didn't happen in the fifties. I don't think. I was. It was those serious like. Yeah. No, uh, down on to the next track. Here we go. <laughs> The stacks and stacks of records on wax about you, know, whatever they would say. <laughs> Hell yeah, Ian, you got the job. <laughs> you are the 50s radio DJ. And so being on all these broadcasts, and there was even more that she would actually play on and stuff, I just didn't feel like mentioning them all because it got kind of convoluted after a while. Yeah. <laughs> she would start to develop an actual like professional poise and confidence. But there was a new trend in popular music going on. Maybe you've heard of it, rock and roll? Uh, yeah, I, I think I've heard of that. And like many other young kids at the time, it would change the course of her life. <laughs> yeah. As she started to, you know, flex on everybody with her badass rock and roll skills, you mean? Well, yeah, because she sang all country and bluegrass before this. It, which, which really do transition very easily into rock and roll. Yeah. But once she discovered the rhythm and blues, and as she told the Blue Suede Shoe News, and I quote, by the time I joined the old Dominion Barn Dance and was starting to get up into my teens, I didn't feel comfortable singing those old bluegrass and traditional country tunes. I wanted to sing some Ruth Brown or Laverne Baker songs. Now, Ruth Brown was an American singer-songwriter and actress, sometimes known as the Queen of R&B. She was noted for bringing a pop music style to R&B music in a series of hit songs for Atlantic in the 50s. Songs like So Long, Teardrops From My Eyes, and Mama, He Treats Your Daughter Mean. Ooh, those those songs were super good. I was wondering why you were playing songs from other people when yep. you started, but that makes sense. And then Dolores Laverne Baker was an American R&B singer who had several hits on the pop charts in the 50s and early 60s. Her most successful songs were Tweedledee, Jim Dandy, and I Cried a Tear. And so this brings me to my first do check out this song. Wah, 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 wah. Ruth Brown, Mama, He Treats Your Daughter Mean. And Laverne Baker, Jim Dandy. The artist's name is Laverne Baker, by the way. Yeah. Not Jim Dandy. I uh, don't have dys dyslexia like I did, and I it turned into Laverne Baker or whatever. <laughs> Laverne Dandy and Jim Baker? Yeah, I don't, know. I don't even remember what it was, but it was hilarious. And so once she started to belt out rhythm and blues with a country beat, she actually kind of started to achieve like some rockabilly notice, kind of like along the levels of when Elvis Presley had hits on records. Yeah, which would make sense with the nickname she would eventually re uh, receive. Exactly. And she would start stealing the show from like when she was opening for established stars with her rendition of Dinah Washington and like doing Ruth Brown's Mama, He Treats Your Daughter Mean. Hell yeah. And two staff announcers at WRVA, one of the CBS networks that carried the barn dance, they had just successfully written a song called Little Things Mean a Lot. And so when the 50s exploded with rock and rockabilly, they wrote a song for her called Will You William, asking Janice to sing it on the barn dance for audience reaction. And they cut a demo tape to send to their publisher in New York. 
when the demo tape arrived at Tannen Music in New York, the publisher not only accepted the song, but rushed over to Steve Scholl's of RCA Victor. Yeah, of course he did, because she fucking rocks. And so Scholl's ended up contacting Janice and invited her to Nashville to record the song Will You, William, on the Victor Records. So at the age of 15, she became a recording artist. Jesus, 15 years 15 old. 15 years old. That is insane, like, because the quality that she produces, even at the 15 years old, like, if I didn't know that she was 15 years old, you would have no fucking idea. She sounds like an adult, and she controls the band like a like a conductor. Like, Oh, yeah. You, you can just feel that she is in charge of this band. There is no, like, other way. And you know that's, like, a great signature of a, of a not only a vocalist, but, like, a lead. Because she plays guitar, too, right? Yeah, like acoustic, like yeah. rhythm. Yeah, exactly. You know, kind of like Elvis did. Yeah, which is really, like, a conductorial kind of position in a band like that because you literally are the, not only the... You're the rhythm and, and the, key changes. Yeah, exactly, the key and rhythm. So, I don't know, that's... That's pretty badass. I, I, I'm impressed already. Well, and so the flip side of Will You, William was a song she wrote herself called Drugstore Rock and Roll. Which was fucking great. Like, yeah, absolutely that, fucking That was the amazing. song you sent me when you discovered her. Yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> I don't know, I just, it's she's so amazing. Like, I don't know. It's like probably some of the best rockabilly you'll hear, honestly. Yeah, it is solid rockabilly and rock and roll and everything in between. And maybe this will help explain why they were so good, too, though. At least, begin, uh, you know, when she was 15, early on, maybe not knowing as much as she knew later on. Elvis Presley had just topped the national charts with Heartbreak Hotel, and he was on RCA Victor. And so Scholes decided to set Martin up with many of the same musicians that were on that same album. On that Elv- Elvis album? Yeah. Oh, that's fucking, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And some of these musicians are like Nashville legends, like Floyd Kramer, Grady Martin, Hank Garland, Bob Moore, Buddy Harmon, and producer slash guitar player Chet Atkins. I was hoping you'd get a bigger reaction out of Chet Atkins, but you just sat there and looked at me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I I don't know the name if I'm being completely honest. Oh, Chet Atkins is an amazing guitar player. Well, I think you should have been doing the fangirl. You were hoping that I would fangirl, I know. but you are the actual fangirl, so why don't you just fangirl? Like? Chet Atkins. <laughs> <laughs> now, this record would sell about 750,000 copies, and after that... 750,000 copies? Yeah. Holy shit. And, of course, she'd be in constant demand for appearances all over the U.S., Unfortunately, though, the recording became the singer's only national top 40 hit, reaching number 35 on the charts. Oh, so she was popular. She's a one-hit wonder, huh? And this brings me to my first dude. Check out this song. (laughs) 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 Oh, I will bring it on, man. (laughs) And it's Will You William and Drugstore Rock and Roll. (laughs) Yeah, you might want to talk about Will You William, like how that's pronounced. Oh, yeah, so it's spelled W-I-L-L. You know, Will, and then you, Y-O-U, and then William is spelled W-I-L-L-Y-U-M. Will Yum. Yum. <laughs> Yum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a great song. It really is well worth the listen to and well worth the William, the Williams. Now, as I mentioned, Elvis Presley was the biggest rock star in the country, and he was signed to RCA Victor. And Presley and RCA were so impressed with Janice's delivery of those songs, they gave Janice permission to use the title The Female Elvis Presley. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. It's a really cool, like, honorific, but at the same time, like, why has she got to be the female? Like, that's... That's kind of pointlessly gendered. Like, she don't have to be the female Elvis. She could just be the Janice Martin. You know what I mean? Like, I get out that Elvis is famous, and that's kind of, like impressive and all but well honestly i think they were doing it to try and sell more records yeah i mean this is the famous elvis presley you gotta buy records man yeah exactly that that actually does make a lot of sense just put elvis's name on something it instantly becomes more uh desired and recognizable and i got a quote from janice about her getting the title of the female elvis presley oh yeah she said i think the female elvis bit was a hindrance 
the audience expected a lot of hip gyrations like he did. And I got kind of tired of being called vulgar. It put a lot of pressure on me. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine, though, that would be a lot of pressure? Because not only are the audience expecting, like, a big performance, but, you know, RCA and Victor are expecting all of our records to sell, like, a massive number. Yeah, that, that is a lot of expectation. And not to mention, yeah, like, the hip gyrations alone. Especially, they were just... Like, with Elvis doing what he was doing, like, they, the TV wouldn't show him on, like, you know, from the waist down and shit. Like, right. That was, Well, like, because, you know, it's dangerous for teenagers to see that. To, yeah, see any sort of hip gyration. Cause, exactly. Because uh, you know what that leads to. Sex. Yeah, because I once gyrated my hips and immediately had sex with somebody, like, right afterwards. It, I haven't done it since just because my hips can't handle that. Well, you're getting old now. Yeah, exactly, with my gyrations. It's a young man's game. <laughs> <laughs> and so even though she didn't really like the title, RCA kind of decided, you know, to play off that whole theme. And they would release an album titled Janice and Elvis. And at the time of release, Presley's manager, Colonel Tom Parker, pulled the plug on the album after just two days on the market because he didn't want Janice's name printed in front of Elvis's name. Oh, she got top billing? Yeah. Oh, shit. Janice and Elvis. Oh, that's not acceptable. This, he didn't notice up until the time it went on market, though? I don't know. Maybe it was just like, you better not, you better not. And when they did it, he was like, I fucking told you not to do it, guys. Bro. Bro. I thought you were going to laugh at his name, Colonel Tom Parker, though. <laughs> it is a pretty funny name, but I mean. It's, <laughs> it's very Elvis, though, to have a manager named Colonel Tom Parker. <laughs> This is the colonel. He does all my investigations and, and moderations and arbitrations. <laughs> Do you think he called him up and was like, hey, it's the colonel. I don't like what you did to Elvis there. Yeah, exactly. Do you know who I am? I'm the fucking colonel, man. <laughs> I fucking told you to put Elvis's name first. <laughs> well, and because it was pulled so quickly, it'd become a rare album. This was kind of a key factor in Martin's discovery, as I can kind of explain later. This album had eight songs on it, and it would start with an Elvis Presley song, then it would go to a Janice Martin song. First song that she did was the song Ooby Dooby. Oh, good old Ooby Dooby. Yeah, which she covered from Roy Orbison. Yeah, you know. and Roy Orbison is awesome. And then another Elvis Presley song, Milk Cow Blues, and then another Janice song called Let's Elope Baby. Which is another song that fucking rocks. Yes. And then another Elvis Presley song called Baby Let's Play House. And then Janice Martin again, one more year to go. You know, a sweet little love song, you know. Yeah, a little. little. <laughs> La, like, because her, she, she's a junior, but her lover just graduated or whatever the fuck, so. Yeah, so she, one Which, more year to go. ironically, is quite suiting for how old she is at the yeah, time it, of this recording. It is kind of, like, depressing, because you honestly start to look at it. She's, like, not even an adult yet, and she's already, like, having to deal with all this shit, and it's, it is kind of. It makes sense why she doesn't have much of a career later in life. Like, I would assume she probably got burnt out of young Aww, age. Aw, you ruined the surprise for me. It's not a surprise if I just logic it out in two seconds, Ian. Uh, what a, you logicked the surprise out for me. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, but isn't that why I'm here? You, you, you took the logic out of what I was going <laughs> to say next. Is that better? <laughs> you can just cut it out and I'll pretend to be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late now. Too late to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> and so then it would be another Elvis Presley song, You're a Heartbreaker. And then Janice Martin, Barefoot Baby. Oh, yeah. Such a fucking good song. And that brings me to my next dude check out this song. Let's Elope Baby, One More Year to Go, and Barefoot Baby. Yeah, which I don't know if I've mentioned how much I like these songs, but I don't. I was just thinking, I don't think there was one of those songs you played that I wasn't like, holy fuck, this is actually really good. Yeah, everything that she has done is amazing. Why it never sold, I don't know. Yeah, it is kind of fucked up, and I don't know. Well, and you know, rockabilly was really considered a controversial music in its day, like we talked about with Elvis and his hip gyrations and stuff. Not my gyrations. Not my gyrations. Pop music stars didn't really know what to make of, like, the beat or the audience that dug it. And an established country star 
Port Wagoner tried to actually dissuade performers like Janice Martin from doing it at all. And Janice Martin would tour with Wagner and she would upstage him, like just hands down, blew him, blew him off the stage, right? Oh, yeah. And after that show, he refused to let her ride with his group to the next town. <laughs> Bitch move, right? Oh, my God. That is so petty, but so hilarious. Yeah. Because you would be just, you would be so intimidated by her. And she's like a 15-year-old girl who, like, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, she's not even a legal adult at this stage. And, yeah, you're just so... You're so threatened by her rocket that you can't even have her on stage like with in the same tour as you. That is that's that's bitch move. That's bitch move. That is straight up like uh, we don't have a bitch spotlight. We have an oh spotlight. man. That maybe that's a new one for yeah. next season. All right, first bitch move spotlight. Port Wagner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You suck, bro. Go ahead and get stand in the shade. Here's your bitch card. <laughs> not how to act like a man or not, not even like a man like that's not even how to act like a like, i don't know a high a high life form like that that's that's something that literally like a gazelle would do like so. <laughs> <laughs> a gazelle. <laughs> look we have a porter wagner out in the distance and he's very scared oh my god He's been upstaged by a local <laughs> 15-year-old girl. Watch as he scuttles away. <laughs> Watch as he abandons her and hopes that she dies in the wild. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's just, that is just so, like, that's weird, bro. That's weird. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't know what else to call it, but a bitch move. I mean, honestly, <laughs> that's exactly what it, A 15-year-old girl, and he just leaves her. Yeah, that's... I don't know. <laughs> you get the asshole spotlight too, but you also get this this newly the newly formed as of this episode from like one minute ago. <laughs> yeah, the bitch move spotlight. Good job, bro. It's a whole different tint. We gotta have like our noses like turned up to him, like whatever, dude. You disgust me. You disgust for shame. You are pathetic. And so along with touring with Wagner. Janice would also appear on The Tonight Show, American Bandstand, something called the Ozark Jubilee with Red Foley. Never heard of it, but, I mean, it sounds yeah. cool. Red Foley sounds like somebody who would be in, like, that 70s show. Ozark Jubilee also sounds like kind of like a redneck program. Yeah, <laughs> it, it definitely does sound like a redneck jubilee, like, banjo fest. Not, not that that's a bad thing. I actually happen to love banjo fest, but it, that name does sound like one. <laughs> yeah. She would also tour with Hank Snow, Baron Young, Jim Edward, Maxine and Bonnie Brown, Johnny Cash, Del Wood, and Carl Perkins. I love how you just slid Carl Perkins and Johnny Cash in that list of people I, who I have no idea who they <laughs> fucking people. She played You've with never Johnny heard Cash? of Hank Snow? I mean, I think you, I have a little bit. I think I actually have. I think we actually discussed him once or twice on the, on the show already, possibly. Well, okay, yeah. So... Let me But Johnny Cash. Let me rephrase that. She would also tour with Hank Snow, Johnny Cash, and Carl Perkins. Hell yeah. And then some other people. <laughs> and some other people. <laughs> dot dot dot. Well, I mean, I, I, now I just I don't know. That's a great tour. That's a great tour. I would love to have like if I have that time machine and I get to go back, I'm gonna go watch like that tour date. Janice would be voted the most promising female artist of 1956 at the annual disc jockey convention and received the Billboard Magazine Award on a plaque. So this is actually that picture that you commented about earlier, probably when that picture was taken. What year would this be? 1956. What so year she, is she born? 1940. So she's 16 in that picture. Yeah. Yeah, well... <laughs> Okay, I wasn't trying to be like disgusting or anything, but I like she, <laughs> we she, haven't we haven't mentioned anything you said by the way. Let's not take this too far. Well, you know, I just can't put any of this in the episode at all, Ian. It makes me sound like a disgusting pervert. You are a disgusting pervert, Pat. Ian, you're a disgusting pervert. <laughs> That's why we're doing the podcast together. Disgusting pervert podcast. Rebranding. Re no, you can't put any of this in the episode, Ian. Let's just skip this and no, go back. No, it's totally going in. Now, she would thrill her audiences by dancing barefoot on stage and just honestly her fucking vocals. 
but none of her stage popularity ever translated into national radio airplay. That sucks, because I, I think her recordings, like, come out really solid. Like, she has good vocal quality, and she has really good command over the instruments. Like, I don't know. Her songs are amazing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I know we're just listening to them in, like, later digital formats and stuff like that, but if they're preserved that well over time, like, they had to have sounded pretty good at the time, right? Yeah, well, I mean, they were, like, Elvis-quality recordings, too, you know, and not, like, you know, early Elvis, but, like, you know, Elvis at his like peak. Yeah, no, exactly. They were they were modern, modern like well done recordings. It just doesn't make sense. Well, and RCA Victor would you know try and get some sales by like making her record songs like My Boy Elvis, which is kind of basically a tribute to Elvis Presley. Didn't become a national hit. And honestly, I won't mention that song after this because as a lot of people like it, to me, it just sounded like a song she didn't really want to sing. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to sing that. Like having your whole career attached to somebody else like that. Like you're the <laughs> you're the Elvis, but without penis things. Like cool, yeah. bro. Like, yeah, like what the fuck? Like you can know I what? just be me? You know I make good music too, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> she makes legitimately hardcore good rock and roll in multiple forms. One of the things that I can say is all the like super famous modern like male guys who are playing rock and roll in this term, they each have their own style, but they never really reach out of it. And through listening to her discography so far, it sounds like she could like step between everybody's styles and just be like, oh, I'm going to do this today and then I'm going to do that tomorrow. And right. Well, and the thing is, is her discs only sold well in a three state region around the Virginia area. Like, oh yeah, so, she's so it's very just local. she was yes, yeah, she was just so localized there. Well, I mean that that makes sense. Like she she is literally like a local hero, but that and that also makes sense why we wouldn't uh, have heard of her. I wonder if people who live in Virginia would like. Uh, we actually have like a pretty decent Virginia audience now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, if anybody out there from Virginia like knows of her, like yeah, I don't know your grandma listened to her or anything like that, let us know. Like because we had never heard of her at all, but we're like way over on the westy coasty place. Yeah, let us know if you've heard of her. I mean, even, you know, us being super big into rockabilly in our youth, I we never heard of her. So, yeah, that's what that's what is crazy to me. You'd think we would have heard of her. And so there's been something I've kind of been holding back from you. Uh-oh. Janice Martin had been secretly married to her child sweetheart, Tawny Kundiff, since she was about 15 years old. <laughs> wow. Of course she was. Her family knew about it. But neither RCA nor her managers knew about it. And around late 1957, maybe 1958, dates were kind of hard to pin down. Her husband was stationed overseas in the army. And she went to Europe on a tour and got to see him. And the result was that the 17-year-old rockabilly star became pregnant. Oh, shit. And of course, the label did not like this. Well, duh. Also, number one, we didn't even get to like, do a number one announcement because it was I just secret. did. I and did. I did. I did the belated. Hey, by the way, she already had her number one, guys. Yeah, I know. But it just <laughs> she stole the secret even from us. Well, from you. I knew about it. God damn it, Ian. Of course, I was know. I was trying to keep her secret always, a secret. I know you're always in on the side of history, stealing information from me. I know it's quite fun for me, actually. Yeah. I'm going to have a, a different view of history because of you. Now, RCA would continue to record her and release singles for a little while, but they would do little to none promotion on any of it, really. And even her re regional sales would start to dissipate. And in early 1958, the label would book one final session, which would result in a fucking great song called Bang Bang. Uh, yeah, a, a ridiculously good session. Yeah. And then would immediately cancel her contract after that when she was only 18 years old. Oh, great. Because she's legal now, you fucking disgusting perverts. No, because she had premarital sex even though she was married. They just didn't know about it. And she was prego. Yeah, well, that's she still can rock. Yeah, well, in the 1950s, for some reason, as stupid as it is... You know, they wanted to save their image, I'm I'm assuming. Yeah, and I mean don't get me wrong. I'm not I am not endorsing teenage like marriages or anything, but the fifties is like that's what they did. Like you 
by the time you were 18, if you weren't married, working at a factory, having yeah. your own house in the suburbs. And, and got pop, a couple kids. Yeah, you have done something wrong. You are detritus. Like, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't really want that for myself, but I wish the economy was still in a state like that. That would, <laughs> that would be fantastic. One and, job, you know. Have and now we get to Pat's kids. political time. No, that's not what that is at all. That's a simple economic <laughs> statement. It has nothing to do with politics. And now the next dude, check out the song. Yeah, dude, check out anything with that conversation. And it is definitely not my boy Elvis. It is totally bang, bang. Bang, bang. When not the Nancy Sinatra one. Definitely not the Nancy Sinatra one. Yeah, unfortunately, because that is a good song. That is too. But you know what? They can be standalones. Yeah, they can be different songs. We'll talk about that eventually. Maybe we'll do Nancy Sinatra in, in a way, way, way future time. Put then the beep, boop, boop machine, Ian. Boop, 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 boop. And even though, you know, she had a, a lot of fanfare and she'd even have like tribute songs by a band called Rocketeens and the song was called Janice Will Rock, she really had a hard time finding a label. But 1960, she would record four songs for the Belgium-based Powell label in Nashville. She would record the songs Here Today and Gone Tomorrow, Hard Times Ahead, Cry Guitar, and Teen Street. Which are all legitimately good jams. Which is why they're all on my next dude. Check out this song. Oh, shit. Here what today, are the, what gone are the to- chances? <laughs> Here today, Gone Tomorrow, Hard Times Ahead. Actually, this song kind of reminds me of a Buddy Holly song. A really well done Buddy Holly song. Yeah, we, I actually picked that up too. Uh, it's pretty funny because we independently both came to that. It's like it's a really, really good Buddy Holly song sang by a woman. Yeah, and I actually had that in my notes just to remind me to mention that it sounds like a Buddy Holly song. Yeah, that, that is, and that just the fact that we both came to that conclusion like independently shows really what it is. And if you guys don't know who Buddy Holly is, listen to the next fucking episode, okay? Yeah, that's literally next week. Next week, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, is it? It's Buddy Holly, then, then Screaming Jay, right? Yep. Okay, yeah. Just making sure I'm not, I'm, I'm keeping my mind right, wrapped around this whole season five thing. <laughs> it's season five, right? Four. Season four? <laughs> now I don't even remember what day it is. I don't know, man. We've done two weeks off. My whole, my whole cognitive reality has been broken. And so then we got Cry Guitar, which is kind of a, you know, slow, like, love songy thing. And Teen Street, you know, which is a solid song, but probably out of the three, kind of a little bit more standard rockabilly. Oh, yeah. Other four, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. And so to quote Janice on her time with Palette, she'd say, by the time I went into the studio for the Palette sessions, I was divorced and married for a second time. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I snuck another one in there for you. So, no, number no, two. <laughs> number secret number two. She doesn't want to tell anybody when she gets married. What the fuck? And initially thrilled by his wife's career, second husband Ken Parton eventually demanded that she stay home and raise a family. Oh, this shit. You're going to be a stay-at-home wife. Burger, you need burger, to raise burger. my children. Burger, 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 burger. Uh, I'm going to go get drunk and beat you later. Burger, 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 burger. And to quote Janice, she would tell some newspaper called Cat Tales. I assume it's a rockabilly magazine. Yeah, it sounds like one. <laughs> I really didn't miss it until I was 25. <laughs> so it took another six or seven years. Yeah. She was like, oh, shit, that kind of ruled. Yeah. Well, honestly, you know what? I think, in a way, there was a kind of relief because all she had done in her whole whole life up to this point was music. Think about all those talent shows she went to. It, you it know, becomes got, like the child movie star situation yeah. where you, you just get drugged through the mud so much. You're like, you gotta just have like, a, I'm over it. You got to have a childhood. Like, if you're going to be a kid, you got to like let kids be kids. If you turn your kid into a 12-year-old fucking rock and roll star, they're not going to have a childhood, bruh. Right. Well, and I think, honestly, like, if we're talking about, like, ethics, like, that's one of the things that should be eliminated from all society is, like, you know, let you can be famous if you want when you're legally an adult. I don't think, child, like, children should be exploited for fame. It should. Yeah, that's a weird one because there's so many stories of that, too. I and mean, it never just, turns out good. What do you mean? Michael Jackson did great in his life. I'm just going to let that one hang in the air. <laughs> well, we got Macaulay Culkin, another option. Like, 
I don't know. I saw him on Joe Rogan. He seemed to be all right. <laughs> and I mean this in the nicest possible way. I have no real opinion on Macaulay Culkin, but nah, man, he looks like a hippie hobo now. But with millions of dollars. <laughs> Didn't his dad, like, try and steal his money from him or something? I don't know. Too? I'm not going to get into the speculation. <laughs> but he had a shitty life. Like, he did not have a good life. <laughs> like, he was a home alone kid. Ah, put your hands on your face and scream. But, like, <laughs> but that was not fun for him, I would assume. Like, okay, I, I, there's probably some fun, but... His ass had to, like, shake hands with Donald Trump and shit. Like, fuck, man. <laughs> he could not I have had a good about existence. that scene. <laughs> <laughs> like, you could not have had a good existence there, man. Fuck. I mean, I'm sure it sucked for a little while, but all I'm saying is he seems to be doing okay compared to some of them child stars nowadays. He, yeah, no, he at least seems, like, intelligent enough. I don't know. It... <laughs> It, there's something about, like, those childhood stars and, like, the aura of, like, drug use around them to where you're like, what the fuck? That's not, like, a Macaulay Culkin-specific thing. That's kind of just all of them. Yeah. Well, now that they're coming out and, you know, there's all that weird shit in Hollywood, it makes sense, though. That's true. I mean, he did do that whole Pizza Underground thing where it was all Velvet Underground cover songs <laughs> about pizza. <laughs> Now, that's a damn fine accomplishment right there. <laughs> All right. I'll, 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 we went way off the track I'll stop there. reminiscing about child stardom, uh, even though it should be illegal, and allow you to continue with your dude check out this song, Ian. And so, while raising her family, Janice worked as an assistant manager of a local country club in Danville, Virginia. And as a hobby, she'd perform at local pubs and parties around the area. She would eventually divorce Parton in 1970 and make kind of a half-hearted stab at trying to resume her singing career in Nashville. But despite encouragement from performers such as Chet Adkins, uh, 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 Chet Adkins, the name anybody? that I, that I totally me. remember. Only me. Her heart didn't really seem to be in it, and she soon returned her home. Aww. And she might have been lost to the history of musical time had it not been for a record collector named Ed Baines who had loved her music since the moment he had purchased a copy of William Williams. Will you Williams, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a writ I mis miswrote it in my notes. <laughs> and learning that the singer was living in Danville, Virginia. Baines decided to call the local sheriff's office and ask if they knew Martin's whereabout. And to quote Ed Baines, he said, A young woman answered the phone and took my call. I explained what I was trying to do and gave her the name of the person I was searching for. To my surprise, the young lady I was talking to happened to be Janice Darlene Parton, better known as Janice Martin. Oh, shit. <laughs> so how crazy is that, though? That is pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's just, like, randomly, like, calling the sheriff's station, like, hey, I'm looking for this chick. Uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What can I help you with? <laughs> <laughs> like, on dispatch. <laughs> is this an emergency? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is this a me emergency? I'm a little weirded out by this, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Well, and so, of course, he began peppering her with questions, and Baines would tell Martin about the resurgence of rockabilly music, a term which he had never heard before. <laughs> <laughs> At least not during the 50s when she made it. Yeah, because that, honestly, that's another, like, later... Revisionist history yeah. label. Yeah, exactly. They, they never called it rockabilly during the age. And he would even write an article about her in a magazine called Goldmine, that would actually reintroduce the singer to, like, fans all across the world. He would eventually visit Janice at her home, and, you know, she'd pick up the guitar and strum out some of her old songs. And he would say, I was taken aback because she sounded like the recordings. Her voice was as crystal clear as the barefoot girl who performed on stage in the 50s. Oh, yeah. And so in 1977... She would record a rocked-up version of the song I'm Moving On for her own Big Dutch label. And she would end up recording a couple of sides that, you know, in the, her previous attempt that felt half-hearted, you know, she revisited and recorded. None of them were hits, but 
fans and collectors, you know, just ate them up like candy. Hell yeah. I like the resurgence uh, kind of arcs because it always feels like, you know, it's over and then it's not over. <laughs> right. Well, and even a German-based company would end up re-releasing all of her RCA material, which actually helped her start touring overseas in Europe again. Oh, yes. And then the illustrious second tour in Europe. Oh, yeah. Where you're almost not famous anymore. And then European people, like 12 years later, are like, I think I suddenly like this. And then, you <laughs> and then you're again. famous in Europe and nowhere else. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a really cool thing that happens. Like I think it's quicker now because of like the internet and stuff. But yeah. back in the day it was like, you know, it could be five, ten, twelve, fifteen years, and then all of a sudden they're like European people are like, No, we really like this now. Well, at least you didn't, you know, become famous in like japan or korea because some <laughs> yeah. of those fans are crazy man yeah and they, <laughs> they they sometimes got it like even later than than european countries would you know you got like the the rockabilly reassert or resurgence in japan was in like the 80s well and they go so hardcore in their fandom yeah, I mean, it, I don't know. We, we've we talked about Psychobilly a couple times since we've talked about Rockabilly, and if you look at, like, Psychobilly fans from Japan, those dudes are. Those, <laughs> With the pompadour that's, like, a foot tall. Yeah, the foot tall <laughs> fucking neon pink pop pompadours, and, like, I don't know. They, <laughs> it looks like it would be a lot of fun, honestly. They, I would love to go They straight there. up, like, stole, like, the greaser look and then times did by a million yeah, it, it's like a cyberpunk <laughs> greaser look and i really kind of dig it i don't know I, I if nothing else i don't know if there's an active like current scene for for this in japan but i would love to see that if it still exists <laughs> a bunch of dudes dressing up like janice martin <laughs> <laughs> janice martin no is there a rockabilly oh psychobilly. just rockabilly in general okay. psychobilly <laughs> Why would it, <laughs> janice martin resurgence was not what i was talking about my bad <laughs> that's just what i pictured in my head and despite constant demand from fans she really recorded very little new material She'd record a live concert and a few studio tunes in 1994 for a Hydra album called Here I Am, including one really kick-ass song called Hard Rockin' Mama. And she'd oh, yeah. Which does hard rock, Mama. Oh, yeah. And she'd even make a guest appearance on Rosie Flores's Rockabilly Philly album. <laughs> Rockabilly Philly? Yep. And even though she did release this new material... She was disappointed by the reaction of her fans who preferred her old material. Like fans always do. I mean, it's just like, if you're going to demand it, why then would you expect her to record in the exact same style she did? What, uh, this is 19, 1994, so you know, yeah, 40 like, years ago? Yeah, like, I don't know. Why Why, why people do like, oh, I like your old style more. Like, the, the oh, your first album was the best album, and then ever since you sold out. <laughs> like that sort of mentality is so fucking just damaging to all of it well i get the whole well i like their first album better but then if you're going i like your first album better why isn't your new album just like your first album god it's just like people grow up if you don't like their new stuff you don't like the new stuff get the fuck over it yeah you're allowed to like like specific eras of a band and just listen to those albums and that's cool like you don't have to be a, a acidic douchebag because of it like yeah that that shit drives me crazy i mean granted i have a, I have I a lot have... of bands that i listen to a specific era of, yeah you know what i mean I, I listen to like the first half of a lot of bands careers because i don't like the stuff they did later but at no point would i ever like go up to the band and be like you son of a fucking bitch like i can't fucking believe that you don't play the exact same style that you did 12 fucking years ago <laughs> yeah i i mean i probably have done that in the past when i was younger but you know being an old man and, now and not not now that we're adults clearly yeah. <laughs> and you know making great decisions in yeah, our lives yeah, real life adults watch us you know listen to us don't be a douchebag when it comes to people releasing new material. They're trying shit out. Let them be artists. Indeed. And to actually quote Ed Bays, the guy who rediscovered her about this whole era, he'd say she never wanted to make music her career. The couple of tours each year in Europe is all she wanted. Hell yeah. And this brings me to my last dude check out the song, which is 
I'm moving on and hard rockin' mama. Fuck yeah, dude. Both those songs are just <laughs> I I know I've just said it over and over again this whole episode, but she just fucking rocks, dude. Right. Well, it also shows her growth as a musician not wanting to stick to just the rockabilly thing. Like she, I'm moving on has how- a real like country, like like uh Dolly Parton sound to it. It really, it really was Dolly Partonish as hell. But like, it all had heavy soul. Like, she never felt dry, never felt weak, never felt like she just gave up. You know, a lot of musicians, some of their later music loses the oomph, and that's something that I like have an issue with. But she doesn't lose the oomph. Well, I have a theory about that. Maybe it's because she was out of the business for so long yeah. that when she went back to do it, she was just in love with it as the first time she did it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. She knew when to step out and not, like, I don't know. A lot of musicians and a lot of, like, professional styles of music are so regimented and become factory-like that it kind of takes the soul out of it. And, you know, I'm not going to point out any, like, specific styles of modern music or anything like that, but... It really, it can, it's damaging to the art of the music to make it like a job. And I don't mean that in any specific way. It just is kind of a universal rule. The more you are forced to do something, the less you can put art into it. You know? Yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. Because it, it happens with every rock star, every, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, everybody who becomes too famous. Yeah, it it, it eventually... Uh, There's a plateau somewhere. Yeah, and it's it's not a problem. It may it's I think it may just be like a natural psychological state of not just the musician, but the herd that follows the musician because that you get into that, what we were just talking about, the people who are like, oh, I like your old stuff. Yeah. And, then that's, <laughs> and that's going to tear you apart, man. If you if Some of your diehard fans who fucking followed you like thick and thin or suddenly like hey you you fucking suck you're like well and that also could be a result of always being in a constant state of trying to create you know maybe maybe especially with a lot of these records that started to plateau like when they these artists first started to do that and a lot of times they were pressured by the label to put out an album yeah and i mean it that makes a lot of sense like i've been a, i'm a pretty artistic guy and every time i apply like time scales to my art it honestly like it fucks it up immediately like it's not even that like it's not that i don't have the time to do it it's that you know something i could have done under my own inspiration in three days if you tell me i have five days to do it i won't be able to do it you know what I mean? Like, because it's it's such a strange thing because, you know, you got four. I think you got your timeline mixed up there. You said three days and then five days. That's what I'm saying is like I, I couldn't do it in five days if you told me to. But if, oh, if nobody yeah, told yeah, me okay, to, I could makes, do it in three. Right. But well, either way, we're I, th- I think once again, we've digressed well into digression. <laughs> and so, you know, along with these, you know, couple of tours each year in Europe, she would ha- end up having a little bit more success that would be helped by a critically acclaimed documentary called Welcome to the Club that was released in 2001. And it's about rockabilly singers from the 50s. Hell yeah. From that movie, she became better known than any time since the 50s, you know, since her songs came out. It's sad that we didn't make that movie part of our uh, research. We should have. Yeah, that would have been a good one to watch, but... Maybe maybe everybody goes and watches that. Yeah, like, dude, every, check out the documentary. We'll, Welcome to the club. Yeah, we'll that check includes it out too. us too. Yeah, yeah, we'll go check it out too because I think that's that's important. There's a couple of music documentaries that I think are really important, like you know, <clears throat> Bob Dylan's one. But I uh, oh, that's how you got him in. <laughs> that's how you got him in. Oh, dude, dude. <laughs> but musical documentaries can give you a new uh, a new point of view on things. You know, when you really get to see the circumstances in which art is made, it it can uh, it can change how you view things. So go out and check those out. Whenever there's a musical documentary available for your artist, look see what they do. Well, and. Even though this documentary came out, she never really planned on truly capitalizing on her newfound fame or reef. Would you call it refound fame? Yeah, refound, re, re, resurgence. I don't know. She would be quoted as saying, "I could probably make a living touring, but I have the best of both worlds. I've got a career, I've got a happy life, and I realize that whatever I do now is gravy." <laughs> yeah, so that's a, such a good point of view too, like a a good way to look at that. 
Like, she stepped back for so many years and then came back in, made some more money, and then was just like, hey, guess what? I don't care. I'm leaving. I honestly think that's also because of her childhood. She saw how that life is and was like, nah, I did it. I'd like to keep it casual. Well, I'm sure she made some sweet ducats there when she was young, too, so she probably had enough to survive on. So she would just continue to do this through the rest of her life. On September 3rd, 2007, she would die from cancer at Duke University Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina. Oh. Saddest part about this, though, is her only son, Kevin Parton, had died of January that year. Oh, so she outlived her son. Yeah. That is very sad. I'm sure that has a lot to do with it, too, because that's, like, such a devastating thing. Right, and on top of having cancer and you don't have a upbeat point of view you're constantly being sad yeah that doesn't that doesn't extend your life at all like uh, that's the one thing is like you know regardless of medical issues if you're sick and in your or you're having a you know health issues being happy helps no matter what and it's weird i it's you know it's some strange part of science but being happy and being hopeful is an actual like it is an up like an upturn in health regardless of a change you know and it's it's just one of those weird anomalies. Well, and so I think it's about time for our last thoughts. Honestly, let's do it. Let's dunk these. You want to go first? No, I I could do. I can go first. Well, once again, we're going to start with that whole uh, an old argument slash uh, statement that I have to come back to over and over again is why the fuck don't we know this lady's fucking name already? Like, how come I had to find Janice? Martin at the bottom of a list of people who influenced the birth of rock and roll when I don't think she deserves to be so hidden in the archives of rock and roll by any means. I mean, next week we have somebody who is really well represented in history, but it's almost a shame because I don't see a difference in talent. In fact, I kind of see like we've listened to, uh, you know, like for instance, our buddy Holly, we were doing some research earlier and you sent me a video of him or a sound bite of him playing when he's what, 13? Yeah, I think he was 13. Yeah. Yeah. But it, either way, it, her at 13 versus buddy Holly at 13, she would have blown him out of the fucking water. And they probably pro- would have competed in the same like competition or whatever. Yeah, for exactly. Sure. And he would, er, I don't know. I just, I feel like she's so skillful. I, I feel like. You're also thinking negatively about that song because the recording was a homemade piss poor yeah, recording yeah. too. I'm not even saying it's bad. It was fucking really good. I really liked it. It was it was really enjoyable to listen to. I'm just trying to give her the credit that right. she deserves here because she really does like have technical well, control over her musical instrument and her band. Like anyway, the, the, my thoughts on that song I'll talk about in the next episode anyway. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you really made me want to go on a rant about that song yeah, no, there for we'll, a second. We'll deal with that next week. But really what I'm getting at is it's just another case of like unfair representation. Uh, we should have these gems of rock and roll more available for people to be aware of, you know, and be, you didn't mention her making the rock and roll hall of fame. Is she not in it? It looks like she never made the rock rock and roll hall of fame. That is so fucked up. She's literally like they called her the female Elvis. Like that would be like, do you guys think we should not put Elvis in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Like, I don't know. It's it, it's upsetting. Uh, she rocks too fucking much to be underrepresented like that. That is my final thoughts. The end. Ring the buzzer. Toot the bell. Go fuck yourself, the dude in the new spotlight. Ian, drop a bomb on us. So my final thoughts are really this. This really goes to show how fleeting fame can be. Like, she was famous by the time she was 15, and she was done by the time she was 18. And even after that, continued to make songs till she got with her second husband, who demanded that she stop playing music for some reason. And then when she re-recorded in the 70s, she made amazing music. So she never fell out of love with music. It just stopped becoming part of her life. So I don't know. It just... Maybe that's why she's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because she doesn't have a prolific enough discography, maybe. I think she really did it intelligently, though. She didn't let that rule her life. She went and lived a normal life and also was still a badass Rock and Roll famous person. Like, Yeah, she got to live both lives, honestly. Maybe, she, maybe that's why she wasn't awarded with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because it wasn't... She really did, like, other than, like, you know, having a bunch of fans in Europe, she did 
kind of die in obscurity and there really is kind of a a niceness to that if you look at you know how the lives of famous people are too you know like constantly being followed around by paparazzi and stuff like that maybe you know she's given the opportunity to re-examine her life and go oh well being a famous musician is not what i want i just want to play music yeah i just want to be a good musician and that that's really what she was you can't. No, she was a great musician. Yeah, a great musician. An epic, legendary musician. I would give her that status. And it also kind of goes to show, like, kind of the point of why we're doing this whole podcast anyway is not for just us to discover, but for everybody listening to discover new artists that nobody knew anything about. I mean... Well, and that's really been what we've done since the beginning because we started, like, we didn't have any idea who we were going to look at when we decided because we picked an era that we didn't know about. Yeah. Other than, like, other than, like, a few artists. Yeah, Yeah, we had, we had guiding lines, obviously. We had some threads of knowledge, but I, like, when, when he and I sat down, we were specifically like, hey, let's look at all the shit that nobody really knows about, and that, you know, includes us. And from going there to here, I, I'm actually really proud of even just the journey we've made so far because we've really seen just so much more of the musical world than I ever thought we were going to. And if you want to see more of the musical world with us, hell yes, please, please check do. us out on our social medias, Facebook, yeah. Twitter, Spotify, where you can listen to all the songs we've talked about on each episode. Ask us questions, give us stars in any place where it like rates us or, or, you know, on whatever platforms you guys look at, just give us, you know, give us thumbs up if you like us. Cause we like you and we want to keep doing this. So, uh, you know, thank you for tuning in as always. We love you. We'll see you next week. Have a good night.